everyone, and welcome to Creating Value Beyond the Deal. This is Jeff Chavez. Thanks for being here. Hi, everyone, and, th- and welcome to Creating Value Beyond the Deal. This is your host, Jeff Chavez. Uh, today, we'll be talking about how companies should be thinking about preparing for additional investment or eventual exit. A quick stat, according to Refinitiv Data, the total value of pending and completed deals announced in 2021 has already touched $3.6 trillion year to date, surpassing the full year tally of $3.59 trillion in 2020. So far this year, 35,128 deals have been announced, which is a 24% jump over last year. Um, so as you can see, the, uh, the M&A activity is extremely busy. So the, the goal of this show is to help you understand how to think about investment and exit prep, uh, when to start, and the important areas to focus on. And, and today, we're, uh, we're lucky to have Kim Walters on the call. Uh, she's a Senior Managing Director at Crosslight T- Technologies, where she oversees the org and pro- process practice, which um, does a lot of work helping companies prepare for upcoming exits. Uh, Kim has over 30 years of leadership, engineering, product, and program management experience at technology, and 18 of those years were at Microsoft, where she led engineering teams in multiple geographic locations. Uh, she's a proven expert in developing a strategic vision and leading large teams to scale successfully using an agile and iterative approach. So, Kim, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jeff, for that great introduction. And uh, welcome, uh, everyone that's joining the podcast. So as Jeff mentioned, uh, I have tons of decades of experience under my belt, but I've been here with Crosslake for the last six years and really working uh, very closely with private equity and portfolio companies to maximize their investment throughout the life cycle. And while we do a lot of the buy side diligence and value creation activities, we also spend a fair amount of time forming sell side or exit prep activities and we'll get into that today awesome kim and, and, and kim and i we actually work very close together so she's one of the she's one of the best i'm really happy to have the conversation for her with with her and um you know so the first question kim um and, and this is really um uh, focused on portfolio companies um and and how they should be thinking about you know either um getting additional investment for growth and scale or um, when they're you know near the end of their holding period, how they should start thinking about exit preparation. And so the first question is, when preparing for additional investment or an upcoming exit, uh, how should companies be thinking about this? And what are the critical things they need to do in order to prepare? Yeah, good question. And you know what we're seeing in the marketplace, Jeff, as you know, is that more companies now are going through what we call an exit prep, a capital raise, or a sell side diligence. This is something probably about four or five years ago, we really did not leverage very much in the industry, but folks are finding that this is a very useful and worthwhile exercise. And something that's very similar, we saw with technical due diligence about five to 10 years ago, where teams started doing this. So I think this really is a way to help them prepare better for the upcoming exit. And I think there's a few things that that we think about or are important when we talk about any type of diligence and and why this is important, what's the value uh, we bring to the table. I think the the first thing is it's about really optimizing the team and preparing them for exit. You know, a lot of times companies are not familiar with sitting across the table, answering technical due diligence questions, being in the hot seat. And because we sit in over a thousand of these circumstances every single year, 
we're really well suited to coach people through this exercise. So we do it in a way where it's a friendly diligence session so we get people comfortable with the process, comfortable with the questions. So that's really, really nice because I think at the long term, I think the easier we can get the groups comfortable with these type of activities, the better they'll show in front of investors. The other thing, you know, as far as like why or, or, or we do this is, is we want to make sure that we're preparing the team, we're mitigating the risk. So we want to make sure that we find out about any type of potential downfalls or pitfalls or things will, that will hurt the investment early on in the process. The last thing we want to do is we want a team to go in front of a, a potential buyer and they learn about something that's critical and it devalues it ends up devaluing the company, right? So we want to make sure that we get up in front of this. So we want to find out how we can maximize the value and mitigate risk very early on the process. The last Wait, thing I'll mention, yeah, go ahead. Did you, did you no, sorry, I'm, I got a question, but uh, I want yeah. you to finish. Yeah, the last one I was just going to say, kind of, uh, following up the, the thread was is really we want to make sure that teams control the narrative. So by doing the sell side diligence, it puts you in the driver's seats, allow you to create that value proposition and control the narrative versus when you're on the buy side, it's more about them trying to figure out what type of questions to ask you. Instead, you're presenting the, the material up front. Got it. Got it. So when, when a company's getting a technical, well, being diligence from a technology perspective, what are what are some areas from a software uh, perspective are are they looking at? Um, is it architecture, infrastructure, or or what what does that look like? And and, and what does a typical diligence look like um, in, in the process? Yeah, thanks. Uh, usually, we cover a pretty standard scope, and usually, architecture or infrastructure is usually probably the most most critical things. And you know, architecture there. They're looking at things like the overall layout, the architecture, how much technical debt you have, how well it's been built. But if you flip that on its side, it's really looking at is like, where are the red flags? Um, where are the outdated components? How deep is the technical debt, right? How easy it is maintained? Same thing from an infrastructure standpoint. Why do they want to know where it's deployed, how it's hosted? They're looking at things like, you know, will it fail over? Is there security vulnerabilities? You know, is there a disaster recovery site? From product roadmap and strategy, they're making sure that you actually have a roadmap in place and that you can actually deliver on what you can say you can deliver. From an organization standpoint, they're looking at, you know, are there any key person dependencies? Are you missing any key skills or gaps? From a software development lifecycle, they're looking at, can you actually develop features in a repeatable manner? Is your, your timeline predictable? Is your engineering team and tools optimized? And then from a customer support and professional services, they're making sure that there's not a huge amount of bugs that customer support people are finding. And there's not like a bespoke and many different, different, different versions that are out there from a professional services standpoint. So we do look across the holistically across your tech stack and we have major different areas that we focus on. And we work with the clients to figure out how we home the project scope and bring in other areas like AIML or data analytics that are important to the company. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And, and so over the last year, obviously, there's been a number of different security breaches, and that's been a big part of um, diligence and a big uh, focus area for many companies. Uh, what are what are things that uh, or what are how should companies be thinking about security um, when it comes to preparing for, like I said, the additional investment or, or 
uh, potential exit down the road? Yeah, I, I think of things like there's table stakes, right? So, you know, now things like doing an annual penetration test or is simply something that the companies must do, making sure they're doing threat modeling early on to identify any type of vulnerabilities, doing things like um, having an open source scan to scan for licenses, vulnerabilities, as well as security vulnerabilities early on in the process, making sure that your, your, your um, people are trained in security best practices. If it warrants it, if you have a big enough company, making sure you have the CISO in place, someone that's responsible for overall company and corporate security, making sure that your access controls and your access policies are in place, making sure your physical access to your data is secure, understanding who has access to what data, making sure there's separate deployment environments for your tests, for your development, for your production, making sure that your information, whether that be PII or your um, secure data is, is actually stored in the right manner is actually secured with the right encryption keys. So there's different layers of security. And again, it depends on what type of your business you're in, but this is some area we can kind of walk through the different layers and figure out what are those table stakes I talked about? And then what are those ones that really differentiate you as a really key security conscious client or customer in today's market? Got it. Got it. I want to go back to and double click on the architecture piece. So many of the times we're working with organizations, one thing that they really want to make sure um, and it will really want to focus on a target is how scalable the architecture is, how much technical debt there is, how easily it is to integrate into um, you know third parties, et cetera. So um, you know when when a company is preparing uh, for an exit or investment, how should they, they be thinking about preparing or positioning their architecture to to be successful when a, a diligence does come around yeah that's that's a good question the thing is you know and there's not one size fits all because mm -hmm. you could have a very um you know modern architecture that's based in the cloud that has kubernetes and microservices and it's very slick and, and that's great because it's modern it's easy to maintain and and it's it's pretty up to date but then you could have a an architecture that's that's pretty old right it might be monolithic it might be hard to update um, it would be hard to maintain. And I think, you know, from that, that's probably the harder case to go after. Those are the type of things where you really have to figure out, okay, you might have an architecture that might be really old, but there's nothing out of date. You find the technical debts being maintained. You're seeing that you are maintaining it because you're actually, you know, delimiting kind of the areas of touch points. You have it really well documented. It's very stable. You've used APIs to extend the platform. So I guess it really depends on kind of what type of application and architecture you have and what are you doing with it. And then we kind of can customize the narrative to show how you've actually identified areas of gaps in the past and how you've addressed them to show that you can continue doing that in the future. So depending on, again, if it's monolithic, if it's something that we, we need to be a little bit more careful about and just on how we extend it and why we extend it, or it could be something where, you know, it's really robust in nature and it's more of a microservices based. So we get, we have different approaches depending on kind of your circumstance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When it comes to, um, I guess where where do many companies fall short um, from your experience? Uh, where do where do many companies fall short when it comes to being prepared for an eventual exit? Um, you know, obviously a lot of companies and, and with all the M and A activity, it seems like these deals are moving very quickly. Um, a lot of companies may not have a lot of time to prepare. 
Um, and so where are you seeing companies fall short um, with regards to things like documentation or um, being ready just in general for the actual diligence or sell process? Yeah, where, where I see the most people fall short is really about metrics. Um, mm-hmm. Most people, and, and fortunately, metrics is one of those things where, yes, when we come in and you only have three months to repair, we can absolutely help you generate metrics, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is those metrics is you always, always want to show an upward trend of metrics. So whether it be the fact that you're baselining how many bugs you have in production every given day today versus how many production bugs you have tomorrow, the more metrics you have, the further along you've been capturing those metrics, the better those trend lines. So if you just start today, for example, capturing things like uptime, you might say, okay, great. I now have a month of uptime that show that I'm 99.999 uptime, but that's only gives me a month of data. Now, if you captured that six months ago or a year ago, I would have a lot more confidence as an investor to know that you guys have over a year of uptime. So mm-hmm. metrics is something that you can never capture retrospectively, right? You always have to capture them in the moment. So those are the things that really bite our clients because you can only start today when we introduce new metrics. So if there's anything that we can start capturing early and often, it is those metrics. And then we're always looking about how can we improve those metrics, of course. Got it. And and, and for the non-technical folks, um, what exactly is uptime? And then to add on to that question, what are some other key metrics that companies should be thinking about? Yeah. Yeah. Uptime basically is just a pretty much a standard um, measurement in the industry. It's just basically, it says, if you have a bunch of servers in the data, in a data room or, or like a site, an internet site, how long or how much percentage of the time is it actually up and running and working correctly? Mm-hmm. And usually you'll hear about five nines or three nines. It just says that site is reliable basically 100% of the time. There's mm-hmm. very little time that is ever down or unavailable or unperforming. So that's what we mean by uptime. And, and, and as far as your, your other questions, as far as metrics, you know, the other important metrics is if, you know, if you have things like performance baselines, understanding how much scalability you can have in the organization. We can, we, one of the things we commonly look for is things like how many features, what percentage of your product uh, engineering team is devoted to feature development versus bugs versus platform upgrades. Um, a few other cost cost metrics that we look for is what percentage of the your organization cost is is as a percentage of overall revenue. We also look at, at look at what percentage of your infrastructure cost is a percentage of overall revenue. So we look at those costs as a barometer or baseline to see where you might be overspending or underspending in either infrastructure or organization. Mm-hmm. Are there any metrics that are are more important than others, and, and if a, a, an organization had to prioritize, you know, metrics, if there weren't any metrics to get in place, what what would those be? Yeah, I, I mean, it also a lot of the metrics really depend on you. Obviously, your the company that's going to be buying the client that's going to be buying the company, or potentially if it's capital raise. So, I think as far as um, private equity firms, portfolio companies, they're always looking at. Uh, metrics as far as dollar signs. So they're always going to be looking at costs. They're always going to be looking at, like I said, you know, how much you spend on infrastructure, how much you spend on R&D. From a portfolio standpoint, folks are going to want to know like how fast you can deliver features, how, what's your predictability like. I think from a quality standpoint, metrics that are important around how much code coverage you have, how well is your quality 
um, mm-hmm. your quality, et cetera. So it really does depend a little bit on on what why people are buying you know the company. But we have a baseline of certain metrics. And we will we can share those with companies as well to basically start on what things we should look at. Got it. Got it. Are there any other areas you're seeing besides metrics that you're seeing companies consistently falling short in? Yeah, I, I mean, I think people certainly fall short. Like, it, it, you know, if I looked at uh, planning and documentation, you, mm-hmm. you noted on that, just making sure people have a thoughtful product management strategy and plan. Things are really well documented. People can, uh, make sure that, you know, the architecture, the infrastructure, the roles and responsibilities are documented. I think making sure that the method methodologies are documented, whether it be your software development lifecycle methodology, your job description and roles are documented. You make sure it's clear that it's when you onboard people, what their roles and functions are. So documentation and procedures is something that, you know, we, we see, especially with smaller and startup companies, we see people really falling short of that. One of the things we can help out clients with is that we have a bunch of templates. So for example, if you don't have an open source policy or disaster recovery policy, that's something we can help and augment and give that to you. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very, very nice. Um, you know, one thing that I, that, you know, we, we've seen a lot of is like I mentioned before is when a company's preparing for exit, usually it's, you know, they're, they're going to be either looking for investment pretty quickly or looking to exit pretty quickly. And this means probably in like the next three months, two months, sometimes shorter. Um, mm-hmm. Ideally, the longer a company has to prepare for an exit, the better. Um, but I guess like the question I had is, you know, how should companies be thinking about preparing for that eventual exit because as you know um portfolio companies get bought there's a whole period and then eventually they'll exit and so i think there's a different strategy you know different way to think about this but you know how should companies be thinking about an eventual exit in maybe years one two three one through three compared to say years three to five yeah that's that's a really good question you know I think, you know, from a sell side, I think the second you get bought by a new PE firm, you should, you know, we, I would love to say that you should start thinking about your exit, right? Because mm-hmm. going back to my metrics thing, it's great if you can capture some of these metrics that were potentially got flagged when you did the, the buy side diligence and start correcting or turning them around. But really what I like to think about is the first couple of years, you're probably being with an investment company, you're probably really in growth mode. So mm-hmm. you might be you know, merging with another uh, company, you might be going after new market activities, you might be you know, growing your, your company or your, your, your posture within, in, within a particular area. So I think a lot of times you know, focus, people are focused on kind of that growth the first couple of years. But I think during the midpoint, it'd be a great time to kind of, you know, take a reflect, reflection on, you know, where are those some of those gaps that you might have missed during this growth period? Is it, you know, in the documentation? Is it in the metrics capturing? Is it potentially that tech deck got away from you? Or is it perhaps, you know, your roadmap and product, you know, plans got away from you? So those would be a great time to ch- do a midpoint check. And it's also a great time to, you know, just see what metrics that you captured in the beginning of, you know, that activity, what was important to the PE firm. And as you're thinking about selling in a couple of years, what is those metric targets that you want to achieve? And I always like to talk to clients about, yes, it's great to baseline where you are today from a metric standpoint, but then what's really key is setting those targets for where you want to be when you exit the investment company. Got it. Got it. And and, and to go back to you know, we see a lot of companies preparing for exit or investment like very quickly. It needs to be a quick turnaround. Um, are there things that those companies they, they need to 
prioritize around like their focus when they're preparing. So for example, they have maybe, you know, they, they're getting ready. They know that there's upcoming uh, diligence in the next three months. Um, I guess, what are some key areas they should be thinking about um, heading into that, into that uh, event? I mean, when they, when people go into kind of a an event like this, I, I think it's about like who will be responsible for actually being on the other side of the table, right? So who are those people you're going to be taking away from the day job? Um, who are the people that you're going to be thinking about putting together the documentation you need, putting together the decks you need? Who are the folks that you know you want to make sure that can be focused like in that time period on those mitigations? Because even if you are just well well prepared and doing everything that's right during the, the life cycle of, um, you know, your investment, you're always going to be fine areas for risk or things that need to be mitigated. Maybe a documentation was missing. Maybe that, you know, um, you needed to basically update some older versions of some work. So I think making sure that people set aside a time to do this and having resources to do that is critical. And sometimes that sometimes that's overlooked because people can just get so busy with their day-to-day schedule. Got it. Got it. And, and, and to add on to that, you know, maybe a, say a company is maybe in a modernization effort for their architecture or in the process of, for example, migrating to the cloud. Um, they knew they have some shortcomings when it comes to their technology, but how can they uh, present themselves um, to potential investors when they have, you know, certain initiatives going on or they, they know that there's gaps in their technology? Yeah. And yeah, again, this is kind of where we can help. I think the first thing is, you know, we need to, we need everybody to be upfront about kind of understanding where people are. The last thing we want to do is hide something from a potential investor. But what we can do is is kind of put it into a positive way. So instead of calling it out as a risk, we call mm-hmm. it out as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And and the way we kind of get the investor or the future investor comfortable with this is we show that the plans are in place, right? So why just say, for example, you know, they did have maybe a, you know, an older in older infrastructure, maybe they were on a million different versions and they're consolidating to one or they're moving to microservices. We can show that they have a thoughtful plan, right? We can show that they have resources dedicated to that plan. Mm-hmm. The other thing we can show is that because they've successfully done this type of work before, it's a proven track record that they can successfully do this again in the future. So you're give, using that evidence-based, um, you know, reliable information to show that they have the proven track record to do this again. And we can talk about it like that. Yeah. And, and, and this is my last question, but you've, you've answered a lot of it in, 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 your, in, in our conversation already. But I would like to add, if you could add just, you know, additional thoughts or ending thoughts that you, you think would be helpful to our listeners as they're thinking about um, th- this this event, like a, a preparing yeah. for investment exit. So, you know, what are some things companies can do today um, in order to position themselves better to be more prepared for um, an exit or investment prep in the future? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's just back to, it's really never too early to prepare for an exit prep. Um, that's the first thing I think any, and it, it really, while well, what an exit prep does is really make you a better company in the long term. I like to think about it is investing in your home, right? It's mm-hmm. if you have foundational cracks or you want to modernize your kitchen, right? These are all benefits that are not only going to pay off when you sell the house, 
but it's also going to be beneficial because you're going to enjoy living in it more. Right. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so in the same sense is, is if you would bring in like an agile technologies or bring in um, optimizations to improve your engineering efficiency, you're going to see growth get skyrocketed, or you're going to see productivity get better, or you're going to see the culture and work-life balance get better. You're going to see, you're going to be able to churn futures quicker. So any improvements you're making today to that might be under the guise of, of doing this for an exit prep or a capital mm -hmm. raise, mm -hmm. you're going to automatically see the value for it today. The other thing I'd say is that one of the things we do is when we take folks on these journey of doing an exit prep or a sell side or a capital raise, you know, there's a lot of great deliverables that are produced that we can kind of partner with them on. One of the deliverables we produce is what we call as an internal report. And that internal report is really just a list of mitigation recommendations. And we capture that information based on the thousand different companies we see. So while we're, we're obviously focused on mitigating any type of issues you have, we're also focused on bringing in best practices as well. And because we're uniquely positioned where we see so many companies, we're able to always bring in best practices that are best suited for the company at this point in time. The other thing, thing you know, back to metrics and not to continue to harp on that, but Metrics, because there's so many different metrics, you know, one of the things we do as a standard, too, is provide you with that list of common metrics that we see are the most critical to capture. And we can work with you to figure out what are those top five, top 10 baseline where you are today and then set targets and benchmarks for where we want to go in the future and showing that progression about where you started from to where you got to when you're about to sell is incredible strength mm. from an investment firm because they say, mm. wow, this is a company that's very diligent, knowing about where they are, measuring their progress along the way and continuously improving. So again, that goes great credibility when investors on the other side of the table and they say, wow, these guys really have their act together. Very, very, very nice. Well, this has been awesome, Kim. Um, I think this information is super valuable to our listeners and um, you know, really appreciate your time. Uh, I know that you got a lot going on, but it's been really, really great to have you on the show and, uh, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creating Value Beyond the Deal. If you found value in this episode, would really appreciate for you to share and pass along. Would also love to get your feedback and recommendations for topics on future episodes. Talk to you next time. And until then, be great.